Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 138 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. So I want to start out today by just telling you how this all took place. So if you are watching the video version of this, you will see that this interview was done in person, which might be a little surprising considering they live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So the story behind that is that a few weeks ago, I got an email from a woman who said she worked with my husband and she had this couple that were dear, dear friends of hers and that they had lost their little girl and that they were writing a book. And that book was going to be released in April. And she thought that they would be great guests to have on the show. So I reached out to this wonderful couple, Ella's mom and dad, who you'll be meeting here in a second. And yes, they were releasing this book. And it turns out they were releasing the book at the same time I was going to actually be in St. Louis. And in addition to releasing the book, they were having their annual fundraiser for their daughter, their daughter's memory for congenital heart disease that very night, a trivia night in St. Louis, Missouri, when I was going to be there anyway. So it seemed like this was meant to be. We happened to be going through St. Louis on our way to a spring break trip. I had already planned to meet another bereaved mom that's in my bereavement uh, starlight support group. So I was planning to be there anyway. And now this wonderful opportunity to learn about their daughter, support congenital heart disease research, and just support other bereaved parents was right there in my lap. So I was excited to go to this event, which took place the night before this interview. So we will talk a little bit about that event. We'll talk about the book and you'll just get to know Ella's mom and dad a little bit. But I wanted to give you that kind of amazing introduction as to how this all took place and how I got to do an in-person interview. Betty and Kyle for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. As all of you can see, we are doing this in person, which I have not done an in-person interview for a really long time. So I'm really excited to do it, but it's a little bit different. So we'll see how this works. Yeah, the timing worked out that you're in St. Louis. The timing worked out that I'm in St. Louis. And I thought I might as well do it in person as long as I can. So that's perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. So why don't you just start out by telling the audience all about your daughter, Ella? Yeah, why don't you start? Well, we had Ella six years ago, so born on April 4th, so her birthday would have been tomorrow. She was a lot of fun. She was... She was first baby for you? Yeah. First baby? We pretty much had no idea what we were doing as parents. (laughs) And so she taught us everything we needed to know and a little bit more. But she was getting to that really fun developmental age where she was crawling around and she started she would point at everything and say what's that what's that um and that was actually her way of telling us like that she wanted something uh-huh she wasn't she didn't have enough vocabulary to like say the thing but she would just point at something and say what's that well i used to always say what's that to her to try and see if she would like learn try words to get her and, to say and be able to, to say words. what it is so uh-huh. then she just started calling everything what's that <laughs> whatever it was effective when she would point and say what's that we're like oh she would like some fruit snacks, you know, like 
So, and then later on when she was in the hospital, she wanted to leave the room, but she couldn't leave the room. But so she would point at everything out the window and say like, what's that? What's that? Like, what if we go check that out, mom? Like, what like that we... seems like that would be really cool. That seems like a fun place to go. I think also uh, something that's notable, even though she was only uh, one years old in that time, she had seen probably... 10 or 12 cities. She was a little jet setter. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so you traveled with her a lot then. Yeah. we. I, I think we just had a really active lifestyle and people were like, oh, when you have a kid, then you're kind of like grounded. And we were like, not quite. Like, we're still planning on living our life. And so, yeah, she went to, oh, gosh, where all did we take her? Portland, Las Vegas, Nashville. Michigan. Um, oh, uh, no, no, no. Allie and Andrew no, weren't in Michigan in, yet. No, she was, they were still living here. Uh we took her to Branson. She went to, I mean, all around. Yeah. The local areas where we could drive too easy, but she was she's all, uh, she was all over the place. She went to, oh, she went to Destin, Florida. She Yeah, she was on the beach. She oh, loved that. so fun. So she was, I, there was just something about her that made people smile. I mean, not just us, but like when we would take her out, she just had a really big smile. She had big blue eyes. And so she, that's, I mean, I think when I think back at her, I think of, of when we would like take her into the store and she would just smile at some random stranger and make their day. She was just really She was a cutie. I got to see a bunch of pictures now <laughs> yeah. last night. So yeah. I can tell you she was a little cutie. Yeah, we did we do have so many pictures. I think that's one benefit of ha- of having uh, her as our first child, uh, poor Lane, our third child. Uh-huh. We have like maybe a third of the pictures that we have of, of Lane that we did of Ella, but we have videos and photos and we're constantly like looking back at those. And well, we and got- her Betty's family was joking like, you guys, you take way too many pictures. You're always trying to document all the events. And then after we ended up losing her, they made a comment like we're so glad that you take all these pictures and now we are going to make it a point to take more pictures, more pictures. they're like we will life. never give you a hard time for taking too many pictures again well it those pictures and videos especially can be so so precious yeah right? i think about videos that i look at of andy when i can hear his voice yeah. and hear him talking and it just makes it so real and i know even last night you showed that video and being yeah. able to hear her voice too yeah was really precious. Yeah. We caught some really fun moments of, like, long before she was really able to talk, uh, <laughs> she would, like, babble. <laughs> and so there was a time where we were videoing, and we he was she was babbling on Kyle's lap. And I said, what what's she saying, Kyle? And he's like, I don't know. Can you say, I love you, Mommy? And she goes, I love <laughs> Like, her babble just sounded like she said, I love you. Yes. Which to me is such a precious um, memory because I never actually heard my daughter say those words. Yeah. But we have that video of her and it, it's... Well, and the other one where she was... Well, you said say her your say name. Ella. Say Ella. And, goes, and it really Ella. sounded like Ella. And she was way too young yeah. to actually yeah, be Yeah, she's like three months old. She was just yeah. cooing. But she it was just, just cooing, but it was perfect. Ella. <laughs> it really sounded like Ella. It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, those, those are some really precious memories and moments and... I think being able to keep that stuff fresh, I like and intentionally going back and looking at it is like such a something that we have really found to be healthy and especially with her younger siblings to like yeah. help them understand that she's a real person and right. You can't watch those videos even though now on this side of it it's kind of like this bittersweet to watch the videos and pictures of her, you can't help watch them without smiling because she was just like a little ball of joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, good. I'm glad to just be able to talk about her and get a little bit of a sense of her personality, really. So why don't we go into now what did happen with her because it was pretty sudden. Yeah. So why don't you just start about talking about that now? Yeah, well, I'll start and then I'll let you pick up. But we had no signs that she had any kind of an issue until right around um it was on easter yeah on easter she right yeah she got what we thought was a cold or some kind of a virus uh-huh. she just kind of got lethargic she was sort of wheezing and, and this is 2017 is that right or yeah. yes yeah, yeah. so we were thought. we were actually getting ready to go to uh, a family easter party mm-hmm. and she got sick in the car we had to turn around and, and we're like, oh, no, she's got some kind of a virus. And, yeah, yeah, so we're like, all right, let's get her cleaned up, see how she's doing, and maybe we'll just be a little bit late. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And we're like, well, she's, we'll wait. And ended up canceling on going out. And then yeah. t- took her to uh, ER to see how she was doing. Yeah, because we're like, maybe she has RSV. We don't know yeah. what's going on. So the ER let us go home because they were like, she, she tested negative for RSV. Like we think and she's she going to be. just about a year. Yeah. Just yeah. Almost yeah. on the nose probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very close. Her birthday's on April 4th. So and then afterwards we brought her home. She wasn't doing a whole lot better. Uh, the ER had told us just contact your pediatrician in the morning. So I called the pediatrician and I will never forget. So Ella was sitting on my lap and I'm on the phone with the, the, the nurse. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, she's kind of wheezing. We had her in the in the ER and they just said to call you. And so I just need to set an appointment. Yeah. Um, it's nothing super urgent. And the nurse said, is that her that I hear in the background? Can I hear her breathing? And I said, yeah. And she said, I would like for you to come in right now. And I was like, okay, that was the first sign that there was anything that was like, we red flag. So then we took her in and from there things escalated. They checked her oxygen level and said, we're actually going to transport you to the, to the hospital again in an ambulance just because she's not getting enough oxygen. Uh And I was like, oh, this is a really bad cold then. Like, are we sure it's not RSV? But we did not know and later found out that she actually was in heart failure Mm -hmm. and that's why she was wheezing and throwing up and... Yeah. So she was checked into Children's Hospital, and we stayed there with her for how many days? It's when you're in the uh, hospital, it kind of becomes like a time. Yeah, it always it couple, seems like one. Was, yeah, I think we were in there for like two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, which they, we were thinking like we're gonna go in and then we're gonna head out and because they they probably hey, at that time still thought it was some viral thing, right? Yeah, that, yeah. like a viral induced cardiomyopathy kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could see that her heart was big. They didn't know what was causing it, but they were just expecting it to get better, and they were just watching it. So yeah, um, it seemed like she was sorting, sort of starting to recover. They did take a blood panel while she was there to see if they could figure out anything else that was behind the scenes. And a lot of times you just have to do kind of some supportive care for that. Yeah. You give them some oxygen. You may have to try to give them some heart medicine to see if you can get it to work a little better. Yeah. Just kind of, but you feel like time is your friend, right? Exactly. So That's at, what the doctors told yes. us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then they, she actually, they got to, she got discharged from the hospital and um, we brought her back home, which felt like a breath of fresh air. Like, okay, cool. This is behind us. And then on his 30th birthday, Oh my. We took yeah, we took her to daycare and I got a frantic call from someone at daycare that said, "Hey, we're worried about Ella. Her lips are turning blue. She just is something's not right with her." And I said, "Call call 911. We need to get her to a hospital. We know she has a heart issue. If her lips are turning blue like right now, get her to Children's." So then they took her. Their protocol was to take her to the closest hospital, so they took her to the one that was right by the daycare. And sure enough, when they got into the ER, they said, oh, my gosh, she's not getting enough oxygen. We're going to airlift her to Children's. And so Kyle and I met them at that hospital. We were waiting for the chopper to get there. They told us um, there was only room for one of us in the chopper. So Kyle drove his car because we knew after having been at the hospital for a couple weeks, like, you need a car there anyway. So even though a police officer had offered to give him a ride, he went ahead and just drove a car there. He was waiting for us. And it took a little while once the helicopter got there and the staff was tending to her. They said, you know, we're going to give her a little sedation so that the noise of the helicopter doesn't scare her. Mm-hmm. And then they were adjusting her oxygen and, and she flatlined. And In the helicopter or before getting on? They were prepping her to go into the helicopter. Uh-huh. So she flatlined and kind of chaos broke out and I mean this is not I mean I did not even it's like in the movies when someone flatlines there's like a oh my gosh they they just yeah. die you know like but for me I was like oh you guys are gonna take care of this right like we're we gotta get in the, got a plane to catch you know yeah, like yeah yeah so so they're they're doing everything and I ended up Kyle and I he had called to say like hey where are you guys I've been here for a little while I thought you'd beat me here and I was like, no, they're just prepping her. I'm going to, we ended up FaceTiming uh, so he could see video. Cause I was like, they're, they're actually, don't freak out, but they're, they are doing CPR right now. Knowing now. Freaking out was totally appropriate. Freaking out yeah, was appropriate. Freaking out right. was 100% appropriate. And but so, you're right on TV, on TV, 
CPR, they always just like get it to work. Yeah, exactly. And they I'm like, sure you, like get them fine. back, right? Yeah. Especially right. if it's like a relatively healthy person. Exactly. They do CPR and like in three minutes they're all back. Yeah. So totally uh, not true. Not what real life is like. But it's what you think it is. That's exactly that's the only thing you've ever seen. Exactly. And I mean, I could not imagine a reality where my daughter died. So for she me, was just in daycare. She right? was just in I daycare. mean, she was just in daycare. She was like, you don't like go from daycare to mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. In a couple of hours, that just doesn't happen. Exactly. Right? And people, mm-hmm. I mean, even still to this day, when people see all the pictures and videos of Ella and they know that she died of a heart condition, they're like, oh, she looked kind of normal. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll right, say right. things to us. Like, we're like, yeah, we had no idea. Like, she, we, we did not know how sick she was. So anyway, I was expecting her to come back. In fact, they, um, I was like, baby girl, just wake up. You know, like, I went to the head of the bed and they let me, I would always sing the song Que Sera Sera to uh-huh. her. When I was trying to get her to calm down, if she was like being noisy in a restaurant. And so I was like singing that song to her and I did not even notice when they stopped the compressions and kind of everybody stepped back. I was like still singing. And then finally I realized how quiet it was and they were like, we're so sorry, but she's gone. And I was, it was just me because Kyle was gone. And so me and all the medical professionals and I was like, someone please pinch me because I know that I'm dreaming. I know that this is a nightmare and I just need to wake up. And yeah. they were like, this is not a nightmare. She's gone. Kyle's on video. So, so you were then, on video at that point then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then he had to drive all the way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they let us hold her. And so anyway, that's, that is how it happened. Yeah. So awful. I know. Just so awful. Yeah. It's one of those things that you just don't believe that it's happening. I mean, I, I remember thinking the same thing, that this just can't be real. This just can't be real. And honestly, the feeling of this can't be real stuck around for quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember going to my first parent grief support group. Andy had been gone, I think, 15 days. And I went there, and I'm sitting there, and they're going around the room, and people are telling their stories of how their children died, and it's not to us yet. And all I kept thinking to myself was, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. You need to get up and go. Yeah. Get up and go. Andy's home. Andy's fine. Yeah. He's fine. This is not you. You are not one of these people. You're an imposter. You don't fit with this. Yeah. Like, this cannot be real. Yeah. And this is 15 days later, so clearly it's real. Yeah. We keep... We kept having, I would say for months, dreams that she was still sleeping in her crib. I would like wake up to hear her cry. Um, mm-hmm. Or I I would wake up in the morning after having a dream that she was still alive and have to remind myself uh-huh. that she wasn't there. Yeah. Like. Those are the most horrible things. Yeah. And they, and they. And they would come to my head all the time. I would be constantly in my mind would be the words, Andy's dead. Andy's dead. Andy's dead because I felt like I didn't really believe it. Yeah. And I and I couldn't really believe it because I couldn't wrap my head around it because it was so sudden and out of the blue. And I felt like you have to get this through your head, Marcy. You have to come somehow accept this has really happened to you. So in my mind, it was repeating those cruel, awful words, Andy's dead, just to try to get it in there because yeah. I felt like I just couldn't. Yeah. It's I just, couldn't accept it. I know. Your brain goes on like self-protect mode. like Yes, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Now, when, I mean, I realize it is a good thing because had it not, and you're feeling that pain every second of every day, yeah. I don't know how I'd get up. Yeah. I don't know how I'd do anything. So in some ways, it is good, I think, that your body protects you a little bit and not let you feel it all the time, every moment. Yeah. Because feeling it at every moment... <sighs> Just too much, right? Yeah, but it is, there is this like weird sense of being off balance because there is this, you know, like your brain's telling you one thing, reality is something different, and you're constantly like trying to balance that. And right, and then you've got this little dream in your head that none of it's really happening. Mm -hmm. And then you think, am I going crazy? Maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe I'm losing it because there's a part of me that's just like, you know what? Life would just be easier if I did. If I just lost my mind, went crazy, and lived in this alternate reality where everything was really okay, and Andy had just gone away to summer camp or something, right? I mean, it's just like this, maybe that would be easier, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, so that's the story of how it happened, and I... 
So now let's talk a little bit about kind of your grief journey and kind of what that was like and mm. the support maybe from the beginning and how things sort of morphed and changed and a little bit of that. Yeah, I think um, right away one of the things we kind of noticed was a lot of our friends and family came along beside us and mm -hmm. were supportive and mended relationships that had just kind of nothing happened but just went away and all of a sudden people that were friends long ago were coming back and mm -hmm. trying to support us. Yeah. And one of the things that we kind of said to each other after knowing people that have had a tragedy and it tears their marriage apart was that one thing we want to make a point of is that this doesn't tear our marriage apart mm -hmm. because it's a likely thing that could happen and it happens to a lot of people. So we wanted to be intentional about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we did that very thing. That very night Andy died. We're in the hospital because Peter was hospitalized. And in the hospital, we made a promise to each other. This will not break us. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly what we said to each other. We said, our daughter's legacy is not going to be ripping us apart. She's going to make us the strongest, best versions of ourselves. And we don't know what that looks like right now. But we're going to figure it the frick out because yeah. that's on us. Like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we did, and reflecting on one more thing, to just to add color to what he said, I consider this to be one of the silver linings of what we've been through. What he described with our network of support, we had people that we didn't even know that were supporting us. And it's kind of like in the circus, the people that are on the trapeze. Yeah. Like, you never want them to fall, but when they do fall in rehearsal or whatever and go into the net, I would say I never understood the depth, like the breadth of support that we had until I felt my weight crashing into it and it flexed around us. And that was such a, a beautiful, I cannot even wrap words around the supportiveness that I felt when we went through all of that. Now that is separate from us having to figure stuff out in our marriage because that is, you know, more auxiliary, the support we felt from so many people. But for us, we had to figure out, like, what do I need on yeah. a daily basis right. to get through the crazy mess that's going on in my head? And also the fact that Kyle and I are very different in how we grieve. For example, mm -hmm. he loved watching videos of Ella, like, right after she died. And for me... That was very triggering uh -huh. um, and just made me feel so homesick um, that honestly, like listening to her voice made me immediately feel like I needed to throw up. And so like him having the space to grieve in his way and do things that were helpful for him and me being able to say, you do that. I fully, I fully support you in that. I'm going to just take a minute and be in a different room. I think that is part of what helped us get through this in our marriage. And so also communication with each other about what we needed and what we didn't need because mm -hmm. sometimes that changes by the moment like people ask us all the time like what was most helpful to you when you're grieving and I will say to them like which day like which yeah. which minute because sometimes I needed different things yes for sure sometimes I just needed to talk about it and sometimes I just needed people to like treat me like a normal human so and that's hard for people to guess <laughs> You know, because they don't know what to exactly. do. And it and so nice. I love how you said that, is that it depended on the moment, it depended on the day. Because just to be open with other people about that, that like, you know, I can't handle that today. Yeah. Because there are times when I get, I, I mean, more so now, I enjoy getting little text messages saying, I thought about Andy today, or this yeah. happened today, or whatever. But there are still days like... Today, maybe not the best day to yeah. have gotten that. Like, I just, it puts me over that point. So it's, that it's, I mean, in some ways people are in a no-win situation. Yeah. But to be able to say, you know, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Today, I can't talk about it further, but I would love to be able to do that later when I'm more ready or yeah. when. So communication between yourself as a couple and then just being open with other people, yeah, which is hard, right? I mean, it's hard yeah. that you feel like you need to be a, be the one to teach people how to help you, but in some ways you have to. Well, and you're the only one who can because this is the thing that we have realized, especially just because our own reaction to grief was so different as individuals, is that 
this is what makes it radioactive for other folks. Like they want to help. They don't know what to do. They don't want to say the wrong thing. Yep. And so the most loving, helpful thing you can do as a griever is to communicate well. And it is, even though it might feel a little funky to be like, hey, I need a minute and I, I can't talk about it right now. Like that is what people who love you and want to support you need and want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Like just be honest about where you're at and what you need because you're the only person who knows and it may be different today than it was yesterday so it's not like we can just hand people a training manual like here's how to support someone who's grieving like really yeah and i think on that point people want to help and so the idea of they say the wrong thing but you need to just understand that they're they're saying what they think can help you yeah and so (laughs) kind of like the thing behind the thing like they are just doing their best to try and help you and if they say the wrong thing don't let that yeah. set you off like uh-huh. they're doing their best and yep. they're there giving to support grace. you so giving grace ex- kind give of grace to each that. other yeah. give grace to people and and i always say on the podcast it is better to say the wrong thing than to say nothing exactly that is the thing that hurts the worst because if you have a conversation with someone and it's shortly after ella died and they like pretend like that didn't even happen that's hurtful mm-hmm. if they say oh, she's in a better place now, it may make you mad. And you think, ah, but I don't really want her in a better place. I want her here. They tried. They tried. And it wasn't a statement that really made you feel better, but it was still better than had they said nothing. Right? right? In my mind, it is. Yeah. Even those things that make you go, oh, why did you say that? Oh, when they don't say anything, it's like, it, it feels like they don't care. And it's not that. I think oftentimes it's not that at all. It's that they don't know what to say. So they don't know what to say. So they just say nothing. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. No, I also think even just asking, because sometimes if I'm being really honest, it is nice to be treated like normal. Yeah. Because, you know, being present in those very grief filled moments is emotionally exhausting. So we have a friend that just recently lost a baby and was really struggling with it. And we went to just go be with her and support her. Just go be. And and at the beginning of that time together, I asked her, do you know what you need right now? Is that, Do you need to talk about it or you just need to have a normal night? And I feel like that level of acknowledging this, there's a funk and yeah. that it might be helpful to talk about it, but also letting her... T- give us a little feedback let, let on her drive the night yeah, and, yeah. And for sure if she doesn't us... want to talk about it like shoot we can just eat pizza and drink beer and be friends like <laughs> that is totally fine <laughs> right so. but that was the great thing to say is do you know what you need right now yeah. and and to not expect that she does <laughs> do not say what do you need me to do yeah call me if you need me those are not that helpful it's yeah. more helpful to show up yeah and to say do you know what you need? Yeah. Do you want to just do this or do you want to do this? Yeah. Giving a couple options can be really, really helpful. And just knowing that you can just show up. Yeah. You can just show up and just sit there. Yep. And I'm sure she would be okay with me saying that her answer was, I don't know. Right. I don't know what I need. And I told her, that's okay <laughs> because we get that. So I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have some pizza and some beer. We're going to chill out. If something comes up, you want to ask us a question or talk about it, just know that that door's open, but don't feel any pressure and we're not going to bring it up unless you do. And she was like, that sounds great. We had some really great conversations, but I think just having that grace with people like they, we weren't, when Ella died, someone asked us to reflect on what would be most shocking to us now. And Mm -hmm. I think... The most shocking thing is that we have now somehow become grief experts that are helping other people. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. Like, no, I mean, those, it feels so chaotic, um, but no one knows what they're doing. I think that's the best thing. Like being a grief expert is just understanding that one thing. No one really knows. Right. And understanding that one thing. I like how you said that too, because I, as my listeners know, kind of thought that I understood grief, right? Mm -hmm. I lost my mom when I was in college. It was the worst thing I could have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. But I sort of felt like I made it through the other side. I was leading a happy life. I had all these kids. Like, things were pretty good. And I kind of got that. And if you would have asked me before Andy died, if I felt like, I would be sort of prepared Mm -hmm. if I lost 
my husband, one of my children, yeah. uh, you know, my brother, some it's a close family member. I as appalled as I would have been at the whole idea, I would have honestly thought, but yeah, I'm I'm way more ready for it than say my husband is, right? Because he'd never really lost anyone close in his life. Mm. Like yeah, I'm probably more prepared than the average person. But it turned out that was just garbage. That was garbage. I didn't know. You can't possibly be prepared. You can't possibly be prepared. Yeah. I mean, I've got my friend Stephanie, who I talk about on the show all the time. She knew for a long time, I mean, years really, that her daughter was dying. She Mm. knew definitely for weeks that she was imminently dying. And yet, two minutes after she died, she's like, no, 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 no. I'm not really ready. No. I'm not really ready. No. So even when you think and you like, I mean, she was going to a therapist and they were doing all this stuff on grief so she would be ready. She wasn't ready. No. You can't possibly be ready. No. But I think part of what makes you, if you can say the word successful, in going through this journey is being real honest about that and then also having real clear and transparent communication like with yourself and with the people that are around you so they can support you. Um, We definitely think that professional help is really (laughs) something that we would recommend to folks. But what we did for ourselves, because we had no idea what we were doing, uh, we we grabbed like a moleskin notebook, like Mm -hmm. just a blank journal online. And we would randomly go, we love wine. And so we would randomly go to like Cooper's Hawk Mm -hmm. and, and do a wine tasting and say like, okay, what are you thinking? What have you experienced in the last few days or hours that has been helpful or hurtful? Like, what are the big ugly things that are going on in your mind? What are the things that are like bringing joy and feeling like are coming up for fresh air? And then we would talk just over wine. And then I would write just messy bullet points in this journal. And we didn't know, like there wasn't intentionality behind it. But if we could say anything to other grieving people, like, that was the single most intelligent thing that we could have done, like single most helpful thing because it helped us crystallize some of what we were thinking. It helped us now going back on it. We're constantly reflecting on memories of Ella, on things from, from our grief and having that document, like that journal where we can go back and flip through Man, what was helpful to us? What were some of the wackadoo thoughts that, that we had that, as we were sifting through? And and then also, we don't have to just remember memories of our memories of our memories. Like, we wrote down a lot of things about Ella. And while those things were still really fresh, and that was really smart. So yeah. I would highly recommend. That's a beautiful people. thing. Yeah. And I know not all couples can have that at all. I think especially on dads. I mean, I've talked to a lot of moms who the dad – does not like I can't go there I can't do that how was that for you having those conversations um I think the fact that we're doing it together and not me just trying to start journaling was helpful that we were kind of having conversations um Betty's a really good question asker yeah and so whether she was driving a lot of the questions and then we would kind of think through talk through and then kind of document our thoughts and our feelings on where we're at but then it was just kind of uh i think whether you somebody wants to do it by themselves or do it with a partner that um by doing making that intentional effort helps you think through it helps you figure out what you need figure out what was helpful um and i think the finding the silver linings thing that betty mentioned like kind of going through and finding the good things that maybe not because this happened these are good things but like what are the good things that surround this or what are the good impacts that that person had on your life and everything else and yeah um kind of painting it in a picture of not this is something i lost and now everything is terrible but yeah. this is something that i had and these are the great things that came from mm-hmm. having that person in my life yeah. yeah i think that's good that you did both things because i do feel like i mean i felt this with my husband eric and i've had a lot of people that i've talked to about this that you have a bad day, say, and then, you know, and you're at work and you both come home from work and I've had a really cruddy day, but I look at Eric and he seems like maybe he had an okay day. Like maybe it wasn't a bad day for him. And so then I think to myself, do I really 
want to tell him about my really bad day. Ruin his good day. Ruin his good day. <laughs> now, it's not wasn't really a good day, but it yeah. seemed like maybe it was a yeah. good day. And I've heard that a lot from different people, that they don't want to, like, ruin the other person's day. So the beautiful thing that I thought that you said was you decided to write this down this thing, and it wasn't all negative stuff. No. It was... Let's share kind of what was good about today, what was bad about today. So it was, there weren't expectations that it was going to be one or the other. Yeah. So I think that yeah. gives you a little bit of freedom in that conversation. Well, and so I kind of think one thing that comes to mind as you're, as you're saying that, um, Betty asked the question, would you trade lives with anybody uh-huh. right after we lost her? And thinking about it, it was like, we have friends that have great lives that haven't lost their kids. And yeah. I would love to not lose my kids. But... To trade lives means I have all yeah, of the decisions they've made their entire life. I, I, I kind of took the question as like full swab, not like, oh, I yeah. just get my kid back. And it's like, right, right. But that's not <laughs> what that, that's not what the question is. Exactly. Right? And it's, it's like trading lives and right. trading lives meant you have somebody else's kids and not your Ella. Right. And it's Too. the way I kind of looked at it was I have a lifetime of decisions I made on things that I prioritized. And yeah, we have this terrible thing that has happened, but. I also have a life that is what I chose and what I built and what we've built together then. And it's kind of like, no, I would still pick mine because I have a lifetime of things that are what I have prioritized. And yeah. so, but it was and just kind of... there's a lot of good in what you have. And it helps, I think, thinking through it that way helps you appreciate the positive things you have versus just saying, if this, this negative thing is, has ruined my life, and so I want a different one. Yeah. I, I also think, as humans, we tend to go to the negative like focus on the negative it's like part of how we're wired i think it's actually part of how our brain protects us from future danger is to like yep hyper fixate how do i avoid that in the future how do i avoid that in the future right you touch the hot stove Mm -hmm. hopefully once yeah and then you're like okay i've learned that's a really bad thing let's not do that again yeah but you can have like a million beautiful memories and if you have one negative thing your brain goes back and revisits that so much more than the positive and so you have there has to be some intentionality if you're going to get through something and still be positive to balance yourself and the way that we did that was we had one page that we wrote silver linings at the top of and we started a lot of times when we were having conversations i'd be like hey is there anything we can add to the silver linings page like something someone that we met that we wouldn't have met if we hadn't lost ella or something that we remember from her life that is going to you know like the fact that I was sharing with you before we started recording that we found out that the thing that caused Ella to pass, uh, Kyle also has that. And that by knowing now what we know, um, that it is not going to take Kyle's life. She protected him. Really, honestly, she is like a hero for him. So that is on the silver linings page of our journal. Like, we never would have known, and she saved Kyle's life. Right. Because now you can, you know. Yes, yeah, so I get yearly yeah. heart checkups and on medicine to help keep yeah. the issue from becoming an issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it won't kill him because now knowledge is power and we know about it. And so we would take things like that, that Ella's life brought a silver lining into our life or touching other people. And we would write all those things down. And then the negative stuff, we wouldn't like shove down like it wasn't there. We no. would talk about it. We would write about it. But then anytime we came up with a new, like, oh my gosh, we met another family that we're going to be lifelong friends with, or I mean, for, for real, this conversation that we were having with you, the fact that we were able to meet you straight down in the silver linings page, like <laughs> that is so cool. Well, and I think about even, so I'm, I'm on my spring break trip, which people find really funny. I know in my office, like, oh, what are you doing on your spring break? Well, I'm starting out Working. by going to a benefit for a, for a little girl who died um, from dilated cardiomyopathy. And like, oh, cool. You know, like my, my husband and my son, we all went to trivia night for a girl who died. That is not how a most teenagers spend yeah. their spring break. And, and I met, you know, two other couples and another woman that I'm good friends with. And I, in, in all on this spring break trip, I will be meeting with like nine or 10 bereaved parents. That is not bizarre normal. and not normal, <laughs> but it's a huge blessing. Yeah. Right. Okay, so now I do have to put in a plug. I think next year we might be going to Spain for spring break. So 
I tell you, anyone who knows bereaved parents yeah. in Spain, you got to get on them right now because phone a friend, phone phone a friend, <laughs> phone a friend in Spain and, and hook them. Last up. year, I met one bereaved parent on spring break. This one, it's now ten. I've got to go for it in Spain here, and I just yeah. don't know how that's going to happen. But you can make it happen. <laughs> I've got to do some major expanding on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. Yeah, I think you can make it happen. Yeah, my kids do speak Spanish. Maybe I need to, to them to do translating. Ooh. That's yeah. a good thought. Yeah, the possibility. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that was a huge aside. But I, I do want to talk about a little bit about the benefit and how that all started. Because this was the third third one? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you start doing those? So as we were, as we were talking through everything after we lost Ella, we decided that one thing we could do that would be a positive is figure out ways that we could help it keep it from happening to other parents so they, yeah. wouldn't, they wouldn't have to deal with the the same loss and so uh we started an endowment fund through st louis children's hospital and then with the goal of raising money for pediatric heart research yeah very good yeah and then every year um we wanted to do something on her birthday because we want to celebrate her i think um and we said this last night at our event but a lot of times people like we're really good at celebrating happy moments and and then whenever there's something that's like this weird grief filled mm-hmm. thing it's like people just kind of shy away from it and part of what has helped us process our grief well is like not shying away from it and saying like you know what we're going to celebrate Ryder and Lane's birthday but we're also going to celebrate Ella's birthday and we're going to make it big we're going to throw a huge party and we're going to continue like soaking every bit of good out of her little life because she is worth that and so anyway we put together a, a trivia night the first year and we raised it like blew our expectations out of the water. We were thinking like, oh, maybe thousand dollars. Yeah, we were thinking maybe we would like raise two or three thousand dollars for heart research and have a, a fun party. Yeah, fifteen thousand dollars later, we were like, okay. Yeah, we had so we I think we we pledged that we were going to try and raise twenty five thousand dollars in five years or something like that and for the entire. And then we raised fifteen that. in the first year, and we're yeah. like, okay, well, that's a little faster than yeah, than what you thought. We're, we're, uh-huh. we're, this is a good start. Yeah. Um, and then last, uh, the the second year, it grew. We were like, okay, there's no way we're gonna meet what we did our first year. I mean, it's so fresh for everyone. They were really looking for a way to help and support us, but we expected that it would get a little smaller after we yeah. had the initial inaugural yeah, was, event. We didn't have that initial like everybody's gung ho to, to support you. Like, yeah, right. Oh, they're right. probably fine. We'll we'll, uh-huh. we'll skip it this year. But then yeah. this, but, the second year, we raised what seventeen thousand dollars. Seventeen. I just, under it, I think. Yeah, I remember as we were counting the money, I just had like tears rolling down my face. Like, oh my gosh, our this is this is not something that is like fading out. Her memory is not fading and going away. It's like getting stronger and building. And then well, not you only, were there last night. Yeah. So not only that, but so our first event we had two hundred eighty people at it, and then our second event we had three hundred and forty people. So uh-huh. to the point of it not fading out, like more people were there yeah. to support us, and that. That net grew. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And then uh, last night we had uh, 360 seats sold, and it was so amazing. And we we are still tallying because honestly, we got home after midnight, and then that we're shooting yeah, this the sure next morning. We are fairly confident that we have exceeded that seventeen thousand. I'd say one hundred percent confident. Yeah. Okay, Kyle is one hundred percent confident. Well, my engineer had, husband. So one of my friends from college. He texted me uh, a couple of days before the event. And he's like, "Hey, would be would would it be okay if uh, me and a couple of my coworkers got a picture with you?" And they their company bought a table, so I was like, "Oh, they company yeah. bought a table, so of that's course. part of their yeah their philanthropic uh, donation." And I was like, "That's fine, that's great." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "We have a check for you." And I'm like, "What do you mean you have a check for us? You, you already paid for you your already table. paid for your table." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, we do a fundraiser, and so we have an, another donation." I was like, "Okay." So then he we we get there, and he's explains that they they pick a, a beneficiary for their quarter mm-hmm. quarterly mm-hmm. donation and so he proposed the Ella Marie endowment fund and they picked it mm-hmm. and so anybody that participates a portion of their bi-weekly paycheck goes towards whatever that philanthropic donation is going to be and so they gave us 
$4,126 just to start the event off. Right. So. When he pulled the check out, both Kyle and I, he did have like a big check. Yeah, printed. it was one of those big checks. Yeah. And my eyes just like filled up with tears. I I thought it was $400. And I was like, wow, I can't believe you guys $400. raised $400 for us. And then I saw the other digit. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, um, we always say that every parent hopes that their child will grow up to change the world. Yeah. And we have a front row seat to seeing how our daughter's life is changing the world. And so it's just like, not what we would have chosen, but it is still beautiful. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly right. It isn't what you would have chosen. And if you could take it all back and take her back, you would in a second. Yeah. In a second, you'd give it all up to have her back. But since you can't. Exactly. Right. We are going to soak every bit of good out of Right out of the situation right we're gonna honor her we're gonna celebrate her little life yeah i think we, we wrote those exact words down yeah about as close as you can <laughs> yeah <laughs> like. right right and and that's the thing and i think that is an important thing to do because that's what a lot of people have a hard time with like i i remember thinking at the very beginning i don't want there to be anything good with this because this is just awful This is awful, and it has to be 100% awful because somehow in my mind at the very beginning was like, if good comes of this, then I'm somehow saying it's worth it, and that I can't do. But I'm happy this happened because look at all this great stuff. Because look at all the great (laughs) stuff that happened. And, you know, and and I do have people tell me all the time, like, your podcast is so great. Like, I would switch this podcast for Annie (laughs) in a second. I don't even care, right? I would take it back in a second. But since I can't... Yep. Then I need to do the best that I can possibly do with it. And this is something I can do with Andy. And that event is something that you can do with with Ella Ella Mm -hmm. every year. It's something with her. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, it's still being her parent. Yeah. You are her parent when you do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what's still cool is because a lot of times you feel like, you know, I'm not really her parent anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not his parent anymore. But this is something where you can be. Oh, right? yeah. People last night, we, when we're introducing ourselves, they they weren't like, oh, this is Betty and Kyle. They'd be like, oh, these are these are Ellen's parents. Like that. Be- yeah. And it is really neat in those moments to be to have that as part of your identity. It's not this thing that was in the past and now it's been washed away. It's like we will always be that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just like always Andy's mom. So now we need to move on because I need to talk to you about the book because you have also written a book and I know you didn't want to really focus on the book, but I am excited to kind of help launch that book because the official launch was last Last night at the the event. We went live. And I know you can get it on Amazon, but I want you to talk about how the book came to be, how people can get the book, just about what that is too. Yeah. You yeah, tell uh, them the title. So we we named it Unraveled when loss changes everything. Yeah, and we named it Unraveled because our experience, and I think something that's kind of misunderstood, is grief doesn't just happen and then it gets better. It kind of comes in waves. You, you have, to your point earlier, you said you had good days, you have bad days, and that's totally true. And it's kind of you don't know how each day is going to be, and it's kind of an unraveling of figuring it out. And so like life as you knew it totally unraveled. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so kind of our source content for the book was that journaling that we did. Yeah. Um, after we had been working on the journal, we started getting connected with other families. Hey, my friend lost a child, whatever. Can you talk to him? Uh-huh. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we'd bring the journal and we'd talk through different things that helped us and hopefully try and trigger some kind of memories that they can kind of find similar yeah. things in their life. Um, and then we started getting feedback like, this was the most helpful thing. I wish I had a book that I could just hand someone. And we're like, yeah, maybe we should turn it into a book. Cause I can't, we can't handle this journal to somebody because it was just sloppy. <laughs> like, yeah, nobody will know what any of these bullet points mean unless you like each is a bullet point that has a story behind it. And yeah. So basically, we we needed to convert all of these different bullet points and all these different notes and do what the stories are so yeah we had a number of people encourage us to you know they first they were asking like hey could I just take a picture of this page of your journal because this was really helpful to me and we'd be like sure you can take a picture but it's like messy and 
you may need context because the bullets were like half thoughts and they would be like beauty in the dusting because that reminded us Heck, of a there story. there might even be tears on the page, right? Yeah, I mean, or wine. You know, like a, wine, lot of, right. a lot of the pages have wine. Let's be real. But so what we did was we said, okay, this can, if this is truly helpful to people, mm-hmm. we are not interested in writing like a memoir about our story, but we are interested in... There seems to be a gap and people don't know what to say when folks are grieving. Mm -hmm. And we somehow have found ourselves in a position where we have a little insight on that. And so if we were to sit down and think about if our best friend in the world went through something epically awful and we had all the time we needed to think through, what would we say to that person beginning to end? So we just took our journal, we organized our thoughts, we said, okay, this is what we would say to someone, let's write this down, and then now that has become this unraveled book, and it is intended to really stand in that gap, when it's like, something awful happened, I don't know what to say, I would love for my per- my person that I care about to feel supported, mm-hmm. and like they're not alone, and they're not crazy, what can I do? you can give them a copy of this book. That's like the best thing that we would, we wrote a book that would have been helpful to us when we were going through our grief. Right. And, and I think about even people that are listening that are going through this, honestly, it might be a good idea for you to buy 10 copies of the book (laughs) and hand it out to all of your friends, right? (laughs) To hand it out to everyone and say, you know what, this is just so you can kind of understand maybe what I'm going through a little bit Mm. and what you might be able to do to help me or to read it yourself and to get that permission, because it's really hard to build up the courage to say, yeah, that that wasn't really helpful. The right to moment. Me, yeah. Right? That wasn't the right yeah. moment. I think about my dear, dear friend, Michelle, who was awesome and wonderful. And she sat down and prayed with me before Andy's funeral. And she said something about hoping that the funeral would be God honoring and be bringing people to Christ. And I... I actually had the courage to say to her, don't say that to me. It's not the right moment. It's not the right moment. And I really do hope, and I do know that our service was very God-centered, and I have heard stories that it has helped bring people to Christ and helped people in their faith. But that wasn't the goal, Mm -hmm. and that cannot at all be the goal for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. For me in that moment, it was a faith-based service because that's what Andy deserved. Mm-hmm. And because I needed to talk about that part of him. Yeah. But it wasn't at all because I was somehow being altruistic and thinking about saving the other people. Because <laughs> in that moment, I wasn't. And yeah. so as much as that seems like maybe that's a good thing to say, it probably isn't. It might be. For some, it might have been amazing. But for most people, you need it to be about that them in the day-to-day because if you start putting especially start putting pressure on them like now somehow this funeral has to bring other people and help other people's faith that is way too much pressure to put on (laughs) a a really parent yeah way too much you can't it's just a bad idea to do so those are kind of some of the things i think Mm -hmm. to help people think of a little more of the day-to-day. Yeah. What is going to help me today, yeah. get through today? Not thinking about eternity, not thinking about the way long down, way down the road. Yeah. It's what gets you through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that came out as we were writing the book is that there are so many things that seem like they are at odds with each other as you're grieving, like direct ends of the spectrum like the obviously the extreme grief of losing her and also all the joy and beauty that has come out of her life yeah but I think there's just a ton of darkness that is coming right up against like brightness or just like complex emotions that kind of butt up against each other and those are some of the things that like as we were writing in our journal we did not have it figured out but we started realizing like hey Nobody's got it figured out. And it's actually helpful to just say some of this stuff out loud. like, mm-hmm. And that it's, it's okay to feel 18 things all at the same time. Exactly. And it's okay for you to go from like 
crazy snot down your face crying to like laughing hysterically in a, in moments. Like yep. that's okay. And I so that's why it can be so nice to, to spend time with other bereaved parents because mm. they're so okay with that. Yeah, they're okay with you crying and then laughing. Yeah, and no one's like when you're crying, they're not saying, "Oh, really?" He he, hopefully, she gets over Here's this. Here's a tissue. Try to wipe it away. And if they're laughing, like, "Oh, good, we don't have to worry about her anymore. She's finally okay." <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. So, so, something else that we realized afterwards is, even though as the parent you are grieving the hardest, but yeah. you're not grieving alone. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a good point. Didn't realize it at the time, but later realized that our some of our parents were dealing with depression and they were grieving loss of a grandchild. Yeah. Um, we had mm-hmm. all kinds of Because they don't want to put more on you. Right. They, so right? They, they didn't right. want to make it our thing. For me, it was my thing. kids. Right. Mm-hmm. They want to protect me so much. They're going through so much themselves and mm-hmm. so much grief and it's affecting them. And yet the people they normally would have turned to, yeah. us, they don't want to. Because, oh, I'm just going to make it worse for her. And that's like watching your children grieve must be horrible. Yeah. I mean, I know watching my children grieve, their brother was horrible. But for your parents, watching their children, you guys, Mm -hmm. grieve, it's terrible. We had a friend that said that they started taking anti-anxiety medication because... They, they have were, kids they were, the same age. And so they yeah. were they they just had this going through their head like that this happened this, to this them. This could happen kid. to anybody. Yeah, like this could and, happen to anybody. Um, I just think not that as a grieving parent you need to go and be the support for all these no, people. No, 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 because you can't. But no, it's but, too you, much weight, but you but... could. But I mean, you you can go through this with those people. Yeah, right. and, and I think support them while they're supporting you and just being right. aware, and being honest and open. And that communication is just so, so big, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that helps too with the book to be able to be like, this is how I'm feeling. And then they can be maybe more okay saying without their feeling. Yeah. Saying how they are. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's no magic sauce. I mean, I think the biggest thing that hopefully comes out of it um, <laughs> is just understanding uh, and and knowing that it's not like some process. Grief, grief is not... Like you just walk through these cute little stages and then you're Oh yeah, the five stages of grief. This one this and then, oh and then you're done. Gosh, I no. Hate that. You're gonna <laughs> you're going to experience all of them, but you don't know and when maybe maybe all on the same day. Oh, yeah, all on the same day. Maybe yeah. one day you don't have any of them, but yeah. and they will happen randomly and it'll be a messy Yes. Messy. A yeah. messy web of feelings. But I will say this. I think <laughs> part of the beauty and another reason why we chose that unraveled is because we understand that our lives are not demolished or shattered or obliterated, but that there is, they've kind of been unraveled, but it can be woven back together. Like it can, we can still have her as part of our lives, like her siblings, even though they never met her, we can weave her back into their story. And so that is one of the things that we are working on doing with this, like with the trivia night that we brought our, our other two kids out to watch the video yeah, so that they yeah. can see her. Cause we want, we want her to be part of their lives. So not broken beyond repair, but we do use in the end of the book, there's an analogy of kintsugi. I don't know if you've ever, are you familiar with kintsugi art? It's like a Japanese. No, huh? Okay. So what they do is they take broken pottery and they mend it with gold. And it's, uh, it really kind of shines a light on the fact that there is beauty in brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so we can never fix it. We'll never go back to the way things were before. Um, and it's not even that helpful of a thought process to be like, what if? Could we change it? No, we can't. And so yeah. um, instead, we are going to mend the cracks mm-hmm. with gold. And we are going to make something that it is beautiful. Like it has its own added beauty because of the brokenness. Right. Because um, that's right. all we can do. Right. Right. So, Well, thank you so much for sharing, Ella, with us today. I really love the trivia light and i can't wait to read the book because i haven't gotten to read it yet so i've got a copy forward to that (laughs) so thank you so much and if you all want to get it i know you can get it on amazon amazon it's actually 
available via Ingram Spark, which is who distributes to like Barnes and Noble and probably Target.com. Like any online book reseller will be, you'll be able to access it from their site, hopefully. So either Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. Just search for Unraveled When Lost Changes Everything and you'll be able to find it. All right. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.